Will you turn with me, please, to the book of Revelation, the 13th chapter? This is going to be a, a part that's really relevant to you and me today. It's, it's of course, talking about uh, the Great Tribulation, and it's talking about the, the introduction, if you would, to the, what we, we termed last week as the unholy trio, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Well, for the, just for last week, we, we talked about the Antichrist, but we added in verse 11 so that we could, we could see uh, at least where the false prophet came from. And we saw that in verse 1, the Antichrist, it said, came from the sea. And we learned from chapter 17 that the sea is out of the sea of humanity. It was from, the, from all the people, the nation, the tongues, and the tribes of the earth. This one person, this one man, came out from the masses of people to be a political and military leader, unlike anyone that we have ever seen on the face of this earth. Well, as verse 11 tells us, then comes this one out of the earth, this second beast, the other beast, much like the first beast. And we, we saw that the word earth meant out of the land, meaning out of Israel. He is the false messiah, the, the false prophet, the one that would come and bring a false religion to the earth so that people would, would fall away from following our one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one that we come to know now as Jesus Christ, the very one that we celebrate on Christmas time. And so what is happening in the world today in which you and I live, this is not the tribulation period. This is not the great tribulation, not yet. But we look across the world in which we live today, and it's evident to, I think, almost every one of us that, that we are searching for someone to come and bring order, to bring peace into this world in which we live. It's chaotic. And yet most people don't realize that this has already occurred. This is why we celebrate Christmas. The very essence of the, the baby that was born in the manger grew up to be the man, the one whom we are to follow, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so he has come to bring us peace. In fact, he says so in John chapter 14, verse 27. The most precious gift to mankind is peace. Now, during Christmas time, you and I are going to receive Christmas cards that says, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, and all of that kind of stuff. La-di-da-di-da. And none of, it is, none of it is of truth, because there is in Scripture no place that we're going to find peace on earth. The peace that the Bible speaks of is that peace that you and I can individually have with God. That's the peace that the Bible speaks of. That is the peace that we are trying to pass along to you so that you might understand fully in whom you believe and that you would have peace with the Father and that you would have eternal life that is given to those who are part of His family. And so when Jesus Christ grew up, he said these words so that you and I would not mistake what peace really truly is. He said in John 14, 27, My peace, he says, I give to you. My peace I leave with you. He then goes on to say, Not as the world gives peace do I give peace to you. It's not like the world's idea of peace. His peace, as we learn from Scripture, is an individual peace between you and God. You alone and God alone. Then he says, therefore, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. 
You see, God has given to us, as mankind, peace. But most of the people on this earth have either rejected it or refused God's remedy for true peace. And so they're going to search. Now in the tribulation time, they're going to search for someone, something, just as we do today, to fill our hearts with peace. And people, Satan wishes to oblige you with that search. If it's so being, he will give fame. If so being, he will give money, finances. If so being, he will give power. Or for those that, that can't make it through fame or money or power, he gives drugs. Dependency upon something that will bring some sort of quote-unquote peace into our lives. And today we come to that place. We're going to look at that place where Satan's ultimate quote-unquote peace giver is exposed. And we're going to come to know him as the false prophet. He is, of all things, a man of religion. We see in verse 11, as we begin to read it in a moment, he comes in like a lamb. That means he will counterfeit God's son of peace, the one that John the Baptist proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of this world. But he comes not only like a lamb, but he comes speaking as a dragon, like his father. That means he speaks lies and deception. Jesus told us that's exactly what the devil does. I want to I find for you real quickly, this is not in, my, in the notes or up on the wall, but Jesus Christ was talking to a group of religious leaders in his day. And he was trying to explain to them truth. Truth. Truth being he is the truth. And they rejected him. And he said to them in, the, in John chapter 8, verse 42, it's, again, it's not up on the wall, I don't think. No, it's not. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. He says, because I have proceeded forth and I have come from God, not on my own initiative, he says. He sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? He says, it's because you can't hear my word. And why? He says this, because in verse 44 of John chapter 8, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he doesn't stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks it from his own nature. For he is a liar. He is the father of lies. And so this one comes in, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, who is the counterfeit Messiah, a man of religion. But he speaks as a dragon, as his father, the devil, who is full of deceit and lies. Well, I want you to read with me. Revelation chapter 13, one, verses 11 through 18, the end of this chapter. And we're going to take a look at this one called the false prophet. And how does it relate to you and me today, here, in your Belinda, in December of the year 2011? It says in verse 11, John writes, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. 
He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the slave, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one should be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here is wisdom. Let him who is understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man. The number is 666. Father, please... Give us the, uh, the wisdom to understand what is written in these verses. Let us see how it relates to us today, this, this false prophet who comes and tries to draw people away from the very, very truth of your Son, Jesus Christ, to worship Satan. And what most people don't realize is that you, you are one or the other. You, you, there's, there's no middle ground. Just as Jesus told the, the religious men of their day, they're of their father, the devil, and they would have argued with him up and down. No, 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 we're religious. No, 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 we're spiritual. But Father, they were not. You're either one or the other. So teach us, Lord, what do you mean by that? And open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. And, and move me aside, I beg of you, Father, so that we might see clearly what you want to teach us. From your heart to ours. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, in verse 11, John says he saw another beast coming up out of the earth. The Greek word for another means another of the same kind. In other words, what what John sees is another beast just like the first one that came up out of the sea. The first beast is the Antichrist. He was Satan's political and military leader, a man like none other that will ever be on this earth. And while he is on the earth, then out of the earth itself comes, or the land of Israel, comes the second beast, Satan's religious leader, the false prophet. Both of them are similar. Both of them are like their father, the devil, because he comes to empower, control, and to possess both of them at one time or another. As verse 12 explains, this second beast has a a religious influence on the people to to make the people worship the first beast. Uh, Don't miss the irony of this. The irony is is amazing. Satan wants people to become religious, to worship something, mostly himself. You know, a long time ago, or some time ago, uh, Bob Dylan, I think his name, John or Bob Dylan, one of the Dylan, Dylan guy, one of the Dylan boys, Dylan, uh, he, he was dabbling in Christianity, as I understand it. I don't know anything about what really took place, but I knew that he went in, to that and was proclaiming to be a Christian. He wrote a song saying, you got to serve somebody. Remember? 
It, 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 hit, it was right on the money. You've got to serve somebody. You know, you're either going to serve our Lord or you're going to serve Satan. There is absolutely no middle ground. You'll see in a moment. So the irony is that Satan wants people to become religious so as to draw them away, distort the truth, and take them away from, from the true one true God, worshiping His Son. You've come across people like this, I'm sure, in your, in your, in your daily walk. You come with people and say, well, I'm religious. You know, I, I go to church once in a while. I, I'm spiritual. You hear all of those things. But do they really understand what they believe when they say they're religious or spiritual? Listen, most of Satan's greatest works of deception are done within the four walls of churches across these United States and this world. Those who do not teach the Word of God. So if a person does not fill his life with truth, then they will end up filling their lives with lies. Mark these words. Satan will fill it with something, anything, but the one true God. Mankind seeks someone to bring about peace within their lives. And Satan would love for us to get religion. Here he desires to do, just as he did from the very beginning, to copy God's plan. So he makes that second beast, the one that comes up out of the earth, like a lamb. Just as John the Baptist said of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, he who takes away the sin of this world. So Satan wishes to counterfeit God's only true way to real, true religion, real, true salvation. Now you'll note in verse 11, this, this lamb has two horns. Horns is a symbol of authority. But we've already learned that the first beast and Satan have ten horns. So this second beast does not have the same authority as the first beast nor Satan. But he speaks as a dragon. In other words, he wishes to deceive just as Satan does. In fact, it, look at verse 14. It says, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth. That's his motive. He deceives just like his father, the devil. If you'll note in verse 12, he exercises, it says, all the authority of the first beast in his presence. He makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship that, the first beast. What I want you to see in this is that Satan does not, is not against religion. He's not. Not in the, the least. What he wants to do is distort it. That's his greatest purpose. To move people away from, from God's plan and to distort God's plan of salvation, thus making people feel good about themselves spiritually, but taking away the need for Jesus Christ. And in so doing, have people worship anything else Namely, himself. Let me tell you how it all began. It, it really began this moving away from God way back in the very beginning. Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the ground. They ate of the fruit and, and God put them out of the garden. So he told them how to come to him. We, we learned that through Cain and Abel, their, their sons. Abel was cared for the flock. 
He was to bring an animal to God as a sacrifice. Cain, on the other hand, grew the food on the ground. He, he was a tiller of the ground, a tiller of the fruit of the ground, the food that they ate. Well, in a course of time, meaning in a certain time, certain place, they both came to God. Abel carrying this animal, Cain carrying the fruit which he grew out of the ground. Both of them offered this to God. This was the first time that, 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 that there was a bend away from God's way of coming to him. God said he had regard for Abel's offering. But he said to Cain, for you and your offering I have no regard. Cain became upset. God says, why are you angry? If you do well, in other words, if you do as I've asked you to do, will not your countenance be lifted up? And then he said to Cain, be careful, Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to control, master you. That was the first movement away from doing things God's way. God says, I have no regard for any other way but the way which I told you to come to me. Listen, church or religion or denominations, we all exist for one purpose, we gather together on Sunday mornings or whenever it is we gather together to worship God and He alone. And we do not have any other option. We must come to Him the way He has told us to come to Him. And we, are, we learn in the book of Acts that, that the apostles said that we should, we should stay to the teaching of the apostles. We should, we should center on the very Word of God so that we understand what it is that God is asking of us. What does He want from you and me? The only way we'll ever know is by understanding what He has written and given to us as a, as a, a road map, if you would, of how to understand Him and how to live our lives. So from the very beginning, God said, this is how you come to me. How do we know that? The book of Leviticus, the 17th chapter, the 11th verse, God said, listen to these words, phenomenal. Leviticus 17, 11. He says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. He says, I have, watch, I have given it, given blood to you on the altar to make an atonement, a payment for your soul. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Atonement is to satisfy or to appease or to make a payment between God and mankind. I want you to note, it is a payment from God to us. He sets the standard. We cannot make it our way. We can't say, well, let's do religion this way. Let's, let us do what is good and give it to God. We don't have that option. We're to do what he said and offer what he said back to him. So it is from God to us, not us to God. Because we must come through the payment that he describes. And he said it's through blood. The blood that he has given for us on the altar. The only blood that he gave satisfies God. It is the payment for our sin. Yours and mine. You know, as far as Scripture is concerned, there is no other way. You can search the Bible. There's no other way for mankind to come to God for the forgiveness of their sin. Jesus Christ said it himself. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father but through me, Jesus Christ says. And God has never varied that plan. 
In the Old Testament, it was the blood of an animal. Today, today, in the New Testament days, the church age, we come to Christ, we come to God through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The blood that He has given to us upon the altar. And so that's how it is. In, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, it says, When Jesus Christ appeared, listen to this, when He appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, He entered through a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. In other words, it wasn't something that we created. No. And he says, it's not through the blood of goats and calves, but it is through his own blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. Through his blood, it says, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained for all of us eternal redemption. So religions and churches and denominations, they all come and they all go. But our sole purpose in gathering together is to worship God. And so we want to worship Him here. And in music, we want you to be here to sing unto the Lord. We want to worship Him in our tithes and in our offerings as He has suggested for us to do, commanded for us to do. And we want to worship Him in the study of His Word. You see, no matter how big the church is, or no matter how beautiful the structure of a church is, no matter how great the songs that have been sung are, no matter how eloquent the preacher might be, unless the people in the churches see Jesus Christ and His Word being preached, and through that we recognize that it is through the blood that He shed for us upon the cross that gives us salvation, until those three criteria are met, church has not been accomplished. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, Since we have this confidence to enter into the holy place that is the presence of God, we enter by the blood of Jesus. It's the blood. We come to God the same way. So the point of this second beast in Revelation chapter 13, confirms that Satan will use religion to deceive mankind. It's not a new concept. It's, it's, it's been around forever. My hero, the Apostle Paul, wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4, words that I would love to say to you right now. If I could, I would, I would pen these words on my own and I would, I would plead with you. Paul said, I am afraid. May I say the same words? I am afraid. That as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus Christ. Because Paul writes in the fourth verse, there is not another Jesus, nor is there another gospel, nor is there another spirit. There is but just one way. So as Revelation chapter 13 and verse 12 points out, this second beast exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and tries to get people to worship the first beast. As we pointed out, the second beast does nothing without the approval of the first beast in doing what is, he does in his presence, as it says. I believe that Satan is moving through both of these, the Antichrist as well as the false prophet. 
And so we see that God allows the second beast to do the most miraculous of things, but Jesus Christ already forewarned us. Look at verses 13, 14, and 15 of chapter uh, 13 of the book of Revelation. Verse 13 says, He, talking about the false prophet, performed great signs. He even made fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. In verse 14 it says that he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast might speak and cause as many as who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Jesus Christ said, Be careful. He says in Matthew chapter 24, verses 24, 25, 26, and 27. Listen. He says, false Christ, Jesus is speaking, false Christs and false prophets are going to rise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if, if possible, even the elect. Behold, he says, I have told you in advance. In other words, I have forewarned you, says Jesus. So if they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness... Don't go there. Or if they say to you, Behold, he's in the inner room. He said, Don't believe them. Why? He says, Because just as lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. We won't miss him. We won't miss him. But the essence is miracles. Do we believe today that God can do miracles? Of course we can. Of course he can. Of course we believe that. But most likely... We believe that He will heal or, or, or do miraculously healing people when we do it according to the Word of God. We are told in, in James chapter 5, He says, Is there any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is there anyone among you cheerful? Then let him sing songs of praises. In verse 14 He says, Is any among you sick? Then let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayers offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. He says the effect of prayers of righteous people can accomplish much. You see, the Spirit of God normally moves within the very essence of the Word of God and without fanfare. Just as we see in verses 13, 14, and 15, signs and wonders occur just as Jesus Christ said it would, it was all done for one reason. As it says in verses 14 and 15, to deceive those who dwell on the earth. To deceive them into worshiping the image of the beast. To go away from the very essence of Jesus Christ. To go away from the one true God. And as verse 15 tells us, not to, not to worship the image of the beast leads to death. Now we come to, about the number. Mark, I think so many people are interested. What is 666? Who is 666? How do we figure this all out? Verse 16 says that this beast causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the slave, all to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Verse 17 says they provide that no one should be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. And then John writes, here's wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man. His number is 666. Six, six, six. Well, 
First, the beast causes everyone to take that number, and without it, they can't buy or sell. In other words, everyone becomes dependent upon the beast. He owns them. You can't exist without the mark. And what Satan devises is a a worldwide allegiance to him. And not to, to take this mark is to forfeit your life. Satan again counterfeits God's plan. We could look back, but look, let's look ahead. Let's look at, at chapter 14, please, just for a second. First verse. John says, I looked and beheld the lamb was standing on Mount Zion. This is not the, the beast that was like the lamb. This is truly Jesus Christ. He is standing on Mount Zion, and with him are the 144,000, the Jews that evangelized the earth. And he ha- they have his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. And so we see again, Satan wants to counterfeit God's plan. And so the burning question is, who is this guy? Who is number 666? Well, 6, we learn from Scripture, is the digit given to mankind. Number 7 is given to God. So what we do know is this number 666 is that of a man. It, is, it falls short of deity. But to identify him, it's impossible. Some believe that it's... Uh, some have come up that with the numbering system that it, it means a computer. They say that the computer is going to be the Antichrist. I don't know. Neither do they. The wisdom that John writes of is a wisdom that shall be given to everybody on the earth then during the Great Tribulation, and it will be clear to them who he is. But since this mark is in the future, I believe it's like the truth that that was given to the Old Testament saints, that that foretold of the coming Christ, foretold of, of the time and all of the time that he would come, but they didn't know when, they didn't know where, and they didn't know who he was. 1 Peter Chapter 1 says, as to salvation, the prophets of old who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiries. They sought, they seeked, is that the right way of saying it? They seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. This is something that they weren't doing for themselves. Listen. What you and I are learning today isn't just for us. It's for those who will come after us. It's for those who are around us, those who we can impact on their lives. I love this place. What was revealed to them was that they weren't serving themselves. They were looking into things that they longed, it says, to see. So this future event, this number, this mark is a mystery to everyone. And it will be revealed at God's proper time. So what does this mean to us? What does all of this mean to you and me today, right here, right now where we live? Well, this false religion is is running amok in in the world in which we live. There are people going to churches that that they don't even open their Bibles. They, They really don't teach the people about the very wonders of God. And they don't really teach them about the one true God that they could know. And, and, and just before I came into the first service, um, one of the guys and I were talking. and He's talking about how hard it is with all the activities to really do all the things that he wants to do for Christ. And I said, I get it. I, I get it. But I said, 
we talked, not me just only, but we talked and said, you know, but the, the essence is that, that you're to serve him and I'm to serve him with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength and to give him our full attention. And we both agreed that there's nothing worse on this earth today than, than people who are watering down their faith, who have become lackadaisical about what we believe. And I know, I know this sounds, you know, weird. Let's not get too fanatical. My father told me that the first thing I think he almost said to me when I told him I became a Christian. He said, oh, great, just don't become a fanatic. And I think I told you this already. I told him, Dad, I think you're a little bit late on that one. I, I really love the Lord. I don't get it, but I love him so much. And I want you to know him, and that, that's a whole process. But we need to understand whom we serve. And we need to understand it is a serious thing. Satan is trying with all of his heart to make you and me complacent about our faith and complacent about our, our just our whole thing about church. A few weeks ago, I, I read to you something that I'm going to do again. I think it bears repeating. It's, a, it's from that warrior, the amazing warrior called Joshua, whom you got to love. He succinctly said these things to the people in his day. And I wish that I could say the same to you right now. Not I wish I can. I, I am, but I mean, I wish you'd hear me. Joshua said, fear the Lord and serve him. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Fear the Lord, he says, and serve him. Serve him, he says, in sincerity and in truth. And put away, he says, the other gods which your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt. And serve the Lord. And then he said these magnificent words in verse 15 of Joshua chapter 24. He says, if it's disagreeable in your sight, choose today whom, you're, whom you will serve. Choose today for yourselves whom you're going to serve. Many said these magnificent words, but for me and my house, what? But for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I pray that for every single one of you. That you see the seriousness of, of our faith, the faith of Jesus Christ. Chapter 13 is awesome to me. Yes, it's about the great tribulation. But yes, it's about us today. Father, please allow us to understand the wonders of who you are more even clearly with every passing day. May we take seriously our faith. May we take seriously who you are within our lives. and May we love you so much, dear Father. I pray you'll bless us wherever you might take us today. And I pray, Father, that we will be a blessing to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.